That was awesome. Thank you, brother. Powerful. Thank you, man. Gentlemen, good evening. Good evening. Hey, my name is Rich Wingo. And uh, Pastor, thank you for sharing your pulpit tonight. I don't take it lightly. Um, it's good to be here. It's an honor to be invited. I wanted to, uh, our assignment tonight is in 1 Corinthians, so if you have your devices or your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. We're going to go there in just a minute. I want to tell one Paul Bryant story. I had the honor of playing for Coach Bryant back in the 70s at Alabama. And I know we've got Georgia fans here. I know we've got Florida fans here. You know, we're praying for your pastor right now. I mean, you know, you got, we got all kinds, we got a hodgepodge of all kinds. I had the great honor of playing for Paul Bryant. And uh, it was in 1977, and I think we were rated number one or two in the country. And, and I was the middle linebacker, and, and uh, it was a week before our first game a week, and, and it was in warm-ups. And, and so Coach Bryant would always stand right in the middle of stretching, and then he'd blow the whistle, and the first offense would go over here to the 20-yard line, and you guys have seen it every high school, every college, every pro game does the same thing. Take a snap, sprint 20 yards through, first defense gets out there after the offense, first defense gets down, coach drops, Defensive linemen sprint through, raise their hands. It's a warm-up drill. DBs, linebackers dropping their hook zones. Everybody, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, not you. And so that's the way it was that day. Coach Bryant blew the whistle. First offense goes. First defense. We get out there. I get down in my stance. Drop back. They throw the ball to somebody. Somebody caught it. We sprinted through. Now it's time for the second team. It's a warm-up drill. But that day, Coach Bryant stopped practice, and he goes, Wingo do it again. It was awkward. It was weird. So I got down in my stance, dropped in my hook. They threw me the football. I sprinted through. He said, do it again. And this time he was intense. And so I got down in my stance in front of the whole team, coaches, dropped in my hook, threw me the football. I sprinted through. And he says, now get off my field. So I'm running off the field and I look behind me like I'm looking at you guys and looking at my coaches and my teammates and I realize that I've just been kicked off the team in warm-ups. I go in the locker room, there's a, I mean, I'm not even sweating. I'm just sitting there and thinking, what just happened? And a friend of mine, a trainer, TG, snuck in from practice and he says, Rich, do you realize that you've been kicked off the team? I said, yeah. He goes, do you realize that no one's ever come back from being kicked off the team except for Joe Namath? Dude, you ain't no Joe Namath. I said, yeah, I, I got that. Thanks. Thank you. Man, I took a shower. I went upstairs to Coach Bryant's office. I, I was told they had a great practice that day. And, and uh, they were, everybody was wondering who was going to be next. And, and so I wait for Coach Bryant. He, he walks down the hall uh, at Coleman Coliseum. That's where the football offices used to be. And he walked, got right in my face, and he says, what do you want? And, and, you know, he put me on my heels right off the bat. And he was a big man. And I just remember what my father told me, that no one's going to fight. So I said, Coach, no one's going to fight for Rich Wingo anymore except for Rich Wingo. I said, I'm here to fight. He invited me in his office, pulled up a chair next to his, his desk, and coach pulled out those Chesterfield non-filtered cigarettes. You remember those? The, those? Those ought to be illegal. 
and he's smoking that thing and he's leaning back in his chair and he leans forward and he goes, he goes, Rich, I, I think you're a pretty good football player. He goes, I think I'm a pretty good coach. I'm just not sure I want you on my team. I've been there three and a half years, guys. I mean, he gutted me. He said, Rich, you see, you're satisfied. You're, you're content with where you're at. And he goes, doesn't mean you're a bad person. It's just, I don't want those people around me. I want people that are sold out, all in, committed. He said, Rich, I'll take someone less of an athlete that wants to get a little bit better every single day. I'll take that guy and I'll win championships with that guy. He put his hand on the telephone, man. He put his hand on the telephone and he says, Rich, tell me where you want to go to school. I'm from Northern Indiana, New Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State, all recruit. He said, you want to give me, tell me where you want to go to school. One phone call, you'll be there tomorrow. I said, coach, if I can't play here, this is my family, three and a half years of my life. This is my family. We live together. We do everything together. I said, I'm not going anywhere. I just won't play. And for about 30 minutes, the longest 30 minutes of my life, he, he talked. And at the end of that 30 minutes, he told me he was going to go home and pray about it, talk to Mary Harmon, his wife, meet me back in his office at 9 a.m. the next morning. I was at his parking spot at 5 a.m. that morning when his headlights hit me right in the face when he pulled up. He got out of the car mad. He said, I thought I told you nine o'clock. I said, I said, I'll wait. He said, no, let's, let's do this right now. And so I followed him up those stairs and closed the door. And he said, uh, mister, if you want to be on this football team, We'll pretend like nothing ever happened. He said, if you're at practice, I'll know your answer. If you're not at practice, I'll know your answer. Now get out of my office. I got work to do. Guys, I go out to practice. I thought my name would be below the freshman on the depth chart, starting middle linebacker. It's like nothing ever happened, just like he said. But you and I both know everything happened, right? Who was the first person on the field? Who, who was the first person in every drill that gave it everything they had? Who was, who was the one that won every single sprint? Who was the first one in the weight room? Who was the first one in the film room that day, the next day, and the next day? And over a period of time, I went from being satisfied and content to being sold out, all in, committed. And that's what we're gonna study tonight in 1 Corinthians 16. We're going to... So many of us here are satisfied and content. And we're gonna break down this verse that Paul wrote for men. Guys, this is for men. This is for you. This is for me. It says, be watchful. Be firm in your faith. It says, act like a man. Some of your Bibles say, be courageous. And then four, it says, be strong. And then verse 14, it says, and then do all this. Do it in love. And so if you will, break down these two verses with me tonight, okay? That's what we're going to do. We're going to break them down together. Be watchful. Be watchful. 2,000 years ago literally meant that you and I, literally as men, we walk the wall. We walk the wall continuously so our wives, our children can work, sleep, play, protect them. Your job, my job was to walk the wall, constantly looking for where the enemy was going to attack because the enemy is going to attack and the enemy is going to find the weakest place of that wall. And your job, my job was to find and know that weakest place and protect it. In 2023 today, 
Being watchful means literally get off the couch, get engaged, invest into your children. Know what your children are reading. Know what their devices, know what their children's friends, their friends' parents are saying and believing. Get off the couch, get engaged, get invested. Listen, I don't think there's ever more of a time in my lifetime where I have seen our children in such attack. I mean, just two years ago, we, none of us in this room ever heard the word equity. Or, but now our children are being attacked by gender, gay, help me, trans, where you and I men have never been under that attack, but our children are. Be watchful. There's a gentleman that Scott knows, a guy by the name of John Kroll. He, he uh, has a, an, a, a ranch for abused and orphaned children. And John, friend, mentor, uh, years ago, it was probably 28 years ago, and in the clear, just he calls my office in Birmingham, and, and, and about 10 o'clock in the morning, I will never forget it. And, and John being John, he never introduces himself. He just starts talking. And so he just, he said, Rich, listen, I'm gonna see Jake. Jake was my oldest son. He was probably seven or eight years old at the time. He said, I'm gonna see Jake this Saturday and I'm gonna walk up to Jake. I'm gonna say, hey, Jake, who's the godliest man in your life? He said, Rich, what's he gonna say? Is he gonna say my pastor, my, my Sunday school teacher? Is, is, he gonna, is he gonna say, what is he gonna say, Rich? He said, if he doesn't say anybody other than my dad without hesitation, he said, you're failing miserably as a father. And he slammed the phone down. I remember leaning back in my chair in my office saying to myself, what would Jake say? I mean, we've shot our first deer, we've killed our first turkey, we, he can hit a ball, he can make a tackle, he can do all the things that, but would he say my dad without hesitation? Be watchful, man. The first chapter of Joshua, the people of Israel after Moses died, they're looking to Joshua to take them into the promised land. And they're saying to Joshua, listen, we will go where you tell us to go. We will do what you tell us to do. We'll say what you tell us to say on one condition you be in the will of God. Men, can I tell you that your wives, that your children, they're saying, husband, dad, we'll go wherever you tell us to go. We'll do what you tell us to do and we'll say what you tell us to say on one condition. Husband, dad, grandfather, that you be in the will of God. Be watchful. Some of you men are my age and some of you men have said to yourself sitting there right now and, and you're saying, listen, Rich, I had my chance. I, I, I had my chance, but I, I wasn't the father that my, my children needed. I wasn't the godly man that my, my, my daughter, my son, my, my son's living in California in sin or whatever the story may be. He's a prodigal or she's a prodigal. Listen, can I just say as a word of encouragement, don't you ever give up on that child. Don't you ever God loves a man willing to get on his face in prayer for the soul of his child. Don't you ever give up. Promise me that. Be watchful. Be firm in your faith. Do me a favor. Look to the guy to the right. Ask him how much God do you want tonight? Come on. Look to the guy to the right. Ask him how much God do you want tonight? Hey, it's not going to hurt you. Some of us don't want too much God. I used to be that guy. 
I didn't want too much, God. I wanted just enough. Oh, I believed. When's the last time, men, that you prayed to God to give you more? We were just talking. When, when's the last time you prayed for revival in your church, men? When's the last time that you got on your face and sought God and said, God, give me your wisdom, give me your strength, Father? Father, give me more of you. Father, ignite my heart. Listen, Father, give me more opportunity for you. Men, when you start praying like that, are you firm in your faith? When you start praying like that, you better hold on. Be firm in your faith. J.C. Riles. I love J.C. Riles, pastor. Priest, pastor, three, four hundred years ago, wrote a book called Holiness. And in that book, Holiness, there's a chapter called The Cost. And he asks this question that's powerful. He said, what is your faith costing you? He said, I suggest if your faith is costing you nothing, your faith is worth nothing. What is your faith? What is my faith costing us, men? Time, effort, money, ridicule, suffering, sacrifice. What is your faith costing you? And like Riles, if it's costing us nothing, it's worth nothing. Are you firm in your faith? Elijah, 1 Kings 18, verse 20. You guys know the story better than I do. Elijah standing there in front of 450 lost men. Good men, but they're lost. And Elijah simply says, listen, if Jehovah is your God, then give him everything you've got committed, all in, everything. But if the world, if Baal is your God, then give the world everything you got. Stop this. The Bible says, stop wavering between two opinions. Same thing as you and I would say is one foot in church and one foot in the world. Listen, I've, I'm the poster child for that. I know that guy and that guy is a miserable life. And some of you men here tonight may be living that life and it's a miserable, terrible life. I speak firsthand. God is sick and tired of weak, passive men. There's no such thing, there's nowhere in the word of God that I can find where there is a godly, passive man. God is tired of men's thoughtless, repetitive prayer. Could you imagine? What's your name? Steve? Jim. Close, wasn't I? Yeah, that was right. It gets bad. It's tough, man. It'd be terrible, Jim, if every time I saw you, I said the same exact thing to you, and then I walk away. Or you'd say the same exact thing to me. Thoughtless, repetitive prayer. Men, he desperately wants a relationship with you and I. Satan is having a field day. Just look around. Satan is in our country, 40%, 40% of every home in this country will wake up tomorrow morning without a dad in it. 40%, four out of every 10 homes doesn't have a dad in it. 
55%, 55% of all men above the age of 18, Barnum, 18 years and older, admit to struggling with pornography. You don't think Satan's having a field day? Listen, 50%, one in every two marriages, secular or Christian, end in divorce. Satan is having his way in this country, men. And if we don't learn anything else tonight, we're gonna learn how to fight, okay? Are you with me? We good? How many have ever heard the word hupotasso? Hupotasso. It means proper military alignment in Greek. How many of you seen the movie 300? Yeah, we got some testosterone in here. Good for you guys. Golly, it fires me up. Thank you. Remember, you guys remember in the movie 300, remember when the, 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 the Persians were attacked, thousands were attacking the 300 Spartans and there was a mountain here and there was a mountain here. And what did the Spartans do? They backed themselves up and they aligned themselves perfectly behind shields. Remember those huge shields in the movie? Remember that? There was huge, and there'd be perfect lines, one after another after another. That's hupotasso to align yourself perfectly behind the shield of Christ. And when the Persians would come and they'd throw their swords here, they'd try to th- they couldn't touch them. Why? Because they were aligned perfectly in the alignment behind the shield. Paul talks about hupotasso in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6, Romans 8, to align yourselves behind the shield of Christ. You got it? Okay, 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 okay. get up. You three guys, come on, come on. Come on, don't look at me like that. Yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. I'm not going to embarrass you. Get up here. It's not going to hurt. Come on, Hoss. Get here. Let's go. Move them feet. All right, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. You stand here. All right? Okay, you stand here. What's your name? Lance. Lance. Jared. Jared. What's your name? Harrison. Harrison. Okay, you stand right there. Okay, here we go. Somebody's got to be Satan. You're going to be Satan. All right? All right. This is the enemy right here. All right? This is... <laughs> Satan married your daughter. No. Okay, here we go. Dude, this is, I, I, I did it. I'm sorry. I am so sorry, man. Okay, okay. I mean, somebody's got to be Satan, okay? Say Satan. This is even more of a stretch. You got to be Jesus Christ, okay? Okay, all right. Big man, you're going to be every man in this room, okay? This is us, guys. This is us right here. And behind you is every man's wife. And behind his wife is every man's child. You got it? You got the visual? Everybody good? Here's the shield. Here's Jesus Christ. What's your name again? Harrison. Harrison, you realize that Satan hates you. And you realize that he wants to do everything he possibly can to destroy you, distract you, disrupt your life. He wants to mess with you, man. You got that? And Harrison, you realize that, that the day, the second that Jesus Christ arose from the grave, Satan, Satan was defeated. But he's coming after, he wants you. And you realize that, that you are in alignment with Jesus Christ. And as long as you stay in the will of Jesus Christ, the enemy cannot touch you. What does the will of Almighty God, what's an example of the will of God look like? The best example that I can think of is there's a Dr. Tom Eliff. Pastor, I don't know if you know Tommy, you know him, Scott? Dr. Tom Eliff, he did a 10-year study of 39,000 married couples. Get this, 
A 10-year study of 39,000, the same 39,000 married couples, there was one divorce in 10 years. You got that? That's an amazing statistic, guys. It was one divorce in 39,000 married couples when the couples did these three things. And this is how you and I fight when the husband and wife purposely, intentionally prayed together daily. I had a friend that loves me enough to get in my face and asked me years ago, Rich, do you pray with Sherry? And I said, well, breakfast and, and uh, you know, supper. And no, he, no, you idiot. I'm talking about, do you purposely, intentionally, Sherry and you pray over each other daily? And the answer was no. He said, listen, I'm gonna embarrass you. I'm gonna come to your house in three days. And if you haven't asked Sherry to start praying with you, I'm gonna embarrass you. Guys, I went home that night. And I said, Sherry, I feel like we need to start praying. I told her what happened. We need to pray daily. We need to pray for Jake, my son, Luke, my son. We need to do that. And so we did. And that look that she gave me, I will never forget. It wasn't a look of, of happiness or it was a look of where have you been? I'll never forget that look. We start praying together. Man, when you start praying over your wife and she starts praying over you and you start praying and bathing your children in prayer and your grandchildren in prayer, let me tell you something. It's gonna to be tough for Satan to mess with you because you're aligned perfectly behind the shield of Christ. And if you're not praying with your, your wife, I'm begging you to start tomorrow, tonight, when you go home. When the husband and wife prayed together, one, when the husband and wife studied the word of God, either separately or together, do you have a quiet time? Do you have a time where you get in the word? Listen, it's impossible. It's impossible to love somebody that you don't know. And you can't know him unless you're in his word. And if you're not in his word, Satan is having victory in your life. That used to be my weakness. I never spent time in his word. Well, I don't like to read, you know, enough. but you ask me any question about deer or duck hunting or any kind of gun, I can tell you anything you want to know. Where did I learn that? I read it. It's because I love it. One time my pastor took me aside and says, Rich, I struggled with the same thing once. And he said, I would lay in bed and and I would think that the creator of the universe is waiting for me out there in my study. And here I am trying to get 20 minutes of extra sleep. And I started applying that in my life. And I used to lay in bed thinking, I have a chance to meet with Almighty God, and here I am laying in bed. Men, the greatest thing you can do for yourself in growth is to read and study the Word of God. When the husband and wife pray together, when the husband and wife study the Word of God, and then third, when the husband and wife attend corporate worship. Men, be missed if you're not at church. Park cars. Take care of the nerve, but be, be missed when you're not at church. Be accountable. Hupotasso, Harrison, get in alignment. And so what happens though, brother? You think you can handle that channel on TV and nobody's watching and you take yourself gradually, come this way, Harris, out of the will of God. And, 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 and you think you can handle just a little bit of soft porn, but you can't. And so you take yourself just a little bit further out. Come out this way. And, and, and who goes with you? our wives, our children. They go with you because you and I are the leaders. You and I are the architects. However our family goes, it's on you, it's on me. You know that, guys, don't you? However your family goes, good or bad, it's on you. We own it because we are the spiritual leaders of our home, good or bad. 
Do you have a chance one-on-one with Satan? No, step aside. And because you and I fail to do our job, who do we leave standing right here in direct alignment with Satan? Our wives. Does our wife have a chance against? No, she's destroyed. And because you and I fail to do our job, who's standing in direct alignment with the enemy? Our children. And that's exactly what's happening. Harrison, get your butt in alignment. Let's go. Get in alignment. What's this called? Hupotasso. Say it. I want you to say it because I want you to tell somebody tomorrow. Give these guys a hand. Thank you, man. Be watchful, be firm in your faith, act like a man. I had a pastor friend, Dr. Tom Mullins. What a man. He's one of my heroes. And, and he told this story, and he told me this story. He told about where they have, they're connected, their church is connected with a, a community in Zimbabwe and has been for years. And many of the people would back and forth. They would teach them how to get water, teach them how to take care of orphans and abandon and all this other. It was, it's awesome what they've done. And the people of the community wanted to take Tom's people from his church on a safari, uh, a photo safari. And so they did. And, and they were all, and Tom said, he's standing here and, and they're all looking at this lioness with her cub and that the guides are saying, don't get too close. And, and he's noticing that his, one of his good friends is standing here and his friend's wife is over here. And Tom said that, that somebody got too close to that lion with, with her cub and she started to charge. And he said out of the corner of his eye, he saw his friend take his wife and go like this. And he thought, he thought it was funny. And it was funny at the time. I mean, can you imagine the butt chewing that guy got that night in that tent? But think about it. When you think about it, it's pretty sad. It's like some of us. We take our wives and we have our wives fight our battles. Some of us here, our wives are the ones that are the ones that are praying with our children. Our, our wives are the ones that are putting our kids to bed on Saturday night. Our wives are the one waking them up on Sunday morning, getting them in the car while we drag our pathetic self and go to church. That's not what a man acts like. That's not what a man looks like. God made you and I physically stronger, emotionally stronger, and spiritually stronger for one reason, lead. Lead. Act like a man means don't act like a woman. And I don't mean that derogatory towards women. I mean, you and I need to step up and do our job. Satan loves men who think it's awkward to say the name of Jesus. Satan absolutely loves men who have no impact for the kingdom of men that go to church, but have no impact for the kingdom of God. Satan loves those guys. Men that have no significance for the kingdom of God. He loves men that feel that their faith is private. Men, can I tell you something? When, if you know Jesus Christ in a real and genuine way and you are in love with him, you can't shut up about him. I often wondered... No, that's not true. In all the, the football games that I played at Alabama High School, Green Bay, 
of all the years that I played the game, I never received a scouting report for the second and third team, ever. We'd come in on Monday and we'd get a scouting report of who we're playing and we'd go player by player, but never the second and third team. They dressed, they practiced, they went through two a days, they went through winter camp, they went through summer camp, they do everything, they get on the team bus, they wear the same uniform, they stretch, they warm up the same, but when it comes time for the game, they go to the sideline. They have no impact on the game. I played second team, I can say this but you have no impact standing on the sideline and there's men in here that need to get off the sideline and get in the game. It's time, it's time. Listen, God is calling the champion out in you tonight. Act like a man. We strive as men to be excellent in everything we do, except our faith. Well, I'm so and so. Well, I just, you know, I'm just not comfortable with sharing my, you know, we knock it out of gear when it comes to our, but we strive for excellence in everything else that we do except our faith. Act like a man. And the last, and where we're going to go and we're going to finish this, is be strong. He's not talking about how much can you bench press. Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Can I tell you, instead of what a strong man looks like, can I tell you what a strong man doesn't look like? In Malachi 1, God said, God said, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. That verse has always bothered me. What did... Esau, what do you and I do or not do to be hated by God? Jacob was kind of a mama's boy. Esau was a man's man. Esau could have been fit right in with us tonight. He was an outdoorsman. He was a big guy. He got along with everybody, but God hated him. Why? I mean, Esau's father was Isaac and his grandfather was Abraham. Surely he believed in God. Why did God hate him? Esau was loud. Esau was irreverent. Esau was arrogant. Esau was profane. Esau was that guy that loved his sin. Esau was that guy that, that said, listen, I believe in God. I believe in God and I'm gonna live my life the way I wanna live my life. One day, one day I'll get right with the big man upstairs, one day. Hey, listen guys, don't you ever call my God the big guy upstairs. We put God in a, in a rocking chair with a blanket over his lap because it's easier to sin against that guy. But my God and your God is the God of Isaiah 6, the God that you and I don't even have the words to des describe him and the awe of him. That's our God. Hebrews 10, 26, a verse that I honestly wish wasn't in the Bible. It, it says, if you and I deliberately continue to sin after having the knowledge of truth. Every man in this room has heard the gospel message hundreds of times in your life. 
You heard that Jesus Christ came, died on a cross for your sin, for my sin. He was buried and three days later he arose and he's coming again. We've heard this message our whole life. If you and I deliberately continue to sin after having the knowledge of truth, it says there is no longer any atonement. There is no sacrifice for your sin. That's a powerful verse. What do you do with easy believism? What do you do with cultural Christianity? What do you do with that? It doesn't fit. Much sin, much grace, it doesn't work with that. Men, can I ask you, what sin in your life are you holding on to? What sin in your life that you love more than your Savior because you're not willing to give it up? What sin is separating you from the relationship that God wants to have with you? What sin have you been dealing with your whole life and you're sick and tired of this sin? The same sin. Satan's got that stronghold and he's got you and I right where he wants us. At the end of Esau's life, in Hebrews 12, 16 and 17, it says that Esau is on his face crying out to God in repentance. And it says God did not hear his prayer. Men, don't play games with God. Don't play games with God. It was my fourth year at Green Bay. And from the world's view, I had a great life. Married to my college sweetheart, Sherry. We've been married 43 years. Starting middle linebacker for the Green Bay Packers. Man, are you kidding? That was my dream. I was living the dream, loving it. MVP of the Packers, man. NFL, man, are you kidding? I was living the dream. About halfway through the season, things just became less and less. I came to a place in my life where I just said to myself, there had to be more than this, if you can believe that. I was living my dream, and there was such a feeling of dissatisfaction. I was searching. I'm gonna to skip to the, to the end real quick. God stationed a man in my life. You wanna know why I have a passion for men and men's ministry? And when Rick asked me to come speak, I'll speak. Because God stationed a man in my life. His name was John Anderson. Andy was an all-American linebacker at Michigan. Andy and I were roommates for seven years. Andy, to this day, is a sold-out believer, follower of Jesus Christ. Andy would always invite me to chapel service. Always. And I'd always say no. Why? Because I knew what was right, but I chose to do what was wrong. Esau. I love my sin. I was searching. Andy, we're in New York, playing the New York Jets. Andy invites me. He says, Rich, there's a famous New York Yankee baseball player. Come to the chapel service. I went. I don't remember the man's name. I don't remember anything he said except for this, and I want to share it, and I'm going to sit down. He said, I envision judgment day, a long line. And he goes, and I'm sitting there, and I step through this turnstile, and it's my turn, judgment day. Jesus is seated to the right, and he said, and Satan is seated to the left. And he said, God is on this huge throne, the God of Isaiah 6. He said, I can't even look at him. And he said, when it's my turn, Satan, this huge semi-truck backs up. 
and Satan stands up and he opens the tractor trailer doors and it's open, it's packed full of computer printout paper, as tight and as small print as you possibly, and the whole truck's packed. And Satan grabs the end and he starts reading. And he said, it's the filthiest, nastiest, most perverted sin he's ever heard in his life. And he's going on and on. And he said, I finally realized that that truck is full of my sin. That's my sin. And he said, it's, it's the shame, the horror in front of God and Jesus Christ who gave his life for my sin. And finally, God interrupts him. God's a perfect God. And he looks right and he says, and what about it? And he said, before he could say, just cast me to hell. He said, Jesus Christ stood up and he put his hand to the Father and he put his hand to him. Tears coming down Jesus' face saying, Father, it's okay. He's with me. And I remember sitting there in that New York hotel saying to myself, Jesus Christ would never stand up for me. I'm a fake. I'm a liar. I'm a joke. Oh, I was raised in a church. Believe me, my parents... My dad was a deacon. My, my mom sang and taught. I was, every time those, they, I was that guy. I was baptized when I was 12. I, I, I walked the aisle when I was 12. Man, are you kidding me? Listen, but the Bible says the evidence of your salvation is by the fruit that you bear. And there's no fruit in my life. There was no evidence in my life. And I knew deep in my heart, yes, I believed in God but I never surrendered my life to him. I never gave, I was never authentic. I was never committed. I was never all in. I was satisfied. I was content. I'm just going to ask you guys to bow your heads as we close. The Bible says in Acts 2 that when Peter preached the day of Pentecost, it, it literally cut the hearts of men and my prayer is that there's men that their hearts have been cut by the Holy Spirit tonight. And when they cried out to Peter, what do we do now? He didn't say, I'm coming back tomorrow, or he's not saying to, that we'll, we'll contact you, we'll call you. No, he said, he yelled it out, repent and be baptized, men. If there's someone here that your heart's been cut, I'm gonna ask you just simply to stand where you're at. Just stand where you're at. Amen. That's the right decision. Amen. Praise God. Romans 10, 9 and 10, men. Said if you confess with your mouth, and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, listen, you'll be saved. Praise God. Men, pray with me. Father, you see these men that are standing. I just pray, Father, that your hand be on them. I pray that you surround them with men, godly men, now and this evening and tomorrow, Father. I pray that we walk them through salvation, redemption. Father, be with us the rest of the night, please. Let your Holy Spirit be free to move in this room in a mighty, mighty way, Father, that no one leave here, no one leave here that's not committed all in for you, my Lord.
We ask it in your son's name, his precious name of Jesus. It's in his name, Father, we come to you.